Good morning, my name is Glenn Legacy. I'm one of the elders here at MBC, and I've been coming here for about 29 years with my wonderful wife, Teresa. This morning's scripture reading is 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Uh, How fun, how fun. I'll tell you what was even more fun than watching that was videotaping them and getting to ask them those questions. Uh, Happy Father's Day. I'm so thankful today that my children are grown and they weren't videotaped on there. So, you know, some dads right now are going sleeping. I'm really good at sleeping, right, Tim? Yeah, yeah. So uh, how awesome is that? That's, That's great. We thank God for dads and the influence they have on their families. I lost my dad. I uh, figured it out last night, almost 19 years ago, and uh, still amazing the impacts and the things that he said to me and did that I still remember to this day. So um, praise God for our dads. BBS, look at it. It's coming this week. It'll happen tomorrow night. Um, if you haven't registered your child or you have a neighbor or a friend, a cousin, a nephew, whatever, there's still time. You can bring them tomorrow night and uh, we'll have a great time this week at VBS. So please come. So they moved me down here to this little stage because it took up so much. And, and then I get to get to see my good friends here up close and personal. And, and also, uh, hopefully I'll try not to get too excited, you know, and, and all, but uh, they're great encouragers. Uh, so I'm always thankful for them. Before we get started, let's just, let's just pray. Let's ask God to enlighten us today. Father God, we ask this morning as we come together that, Father, you would instruct us, you would teach us, you would guide us into truth. That, Father, we would be a people who humble ourselves before you with contrite heart. That, Lord, we would seek you in all of our ways. That, Father, to know you, uh, Father, even 
even as we find ourselves at time in a world of chaos and uncertainty and doubts or uncertainty set in. May we, Father, find ourselves grounding ourselves in the truth of your word. And Father, from your word, from the truth of your word, are, are the words of life. In them is the gospel. The Father, in them is how that we can know you. And so, Father, instruct us today. Let us not be a people that wander about in, in darkness. Let us not be a people who wander about in uncertainty, but who walk confidently in the grace and the mercy of our God and the truth that he's given us. Father, as I always pray, please go past all of my inabilities, my shortcomings, my own sins, and God, speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is of King Josiah. If you know much of King Josiah, by the time he was eight years old, he became king. His father and his grandfather, King Abon and Manassas, were wicked kings in, in Israel or in, in Judah. And as a result of their leadership, the word of God got pushed out. The word of God became void because they kept putting shrines and, and false gods and false practices into the lifestyle of, of the Jewish people to the place that they knew, no longer knew their God. And as a result of that, as Josiah became king and over time, he actually took and raised some funds in order to rebuild the temple. And as a result of that, the high priest goes in the temple and he finds the law of the Lord, the law of God, the word of God. And as a result of that, he takes it and he brings it to King Josiah and he reads it to Josiah. And Josiah's heart is moved and he, and he begins to rip his clothes in, 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 in remorse because of the things that are being read. He did not know, they did not know, and they were practicing in Israel. And as a result of that, King Josiah began a great reform. He began to take down shrines and idols and began to call the people together. In fact, as he heard the word, he did this. He brought the people together and called for national repentance as they would hear the word of God. It says that the king, this is King Josiah in 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 23. King jo, the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statues with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book that all the people and, and all the people joined the, in on the covenant. So all the people, the national revival that began to take place as they continued to take down idols and shrines and begin to seek after God and to follow after him because the word of God had been pushed to the side because of wicked, wicked leadership before them. In fact, it tells us in uh, 2 Kings uh, chapter 22, verse, 20, verse 2, it talks about Josiah, it says, and he did what it was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the way of David, his father. That's talking about King David. And he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. It also says in chapter 23 of 2 Kings, verse 25, it's of King Josiah. Before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might, according to the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise 
after him. Pretty amazing as a result of hearing God's word. When you, look at, when you look at history and you look at times and you see how the word of God impacts and influences a culture and how it influences a people. And what was so important here is that Josiah, as he found that word and began to read it and understand it, he called the people together and they did as well. Even when you look in the New Testament, in the time of the New Testament, when Paul was instructing Timothy, he taught Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20. He says, oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irrelevant babble and contradiction. Oops, let me, I went too far. I'm sorry. This is 2 Timothy 1, verses 12 and 14. He says, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until the day what has been entrusted to me. Paul is saying, hey, look, I know who I believe. And I believe, I entrust that he is able to keep that which he entrusted to me. Then he says, to, Tim, continues with Timothy, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in, in, in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So Paul is instructing Timothy to take this word, the word of God, and to guard it, the gospel that has been given to him, the words that have been taught, that he's to entrust those that have been in, uh, to guard those that have been entrusted to him. It's interesting in, in chapter one, uh, chapter six of First Timothy, he says, "O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irrelevant babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith." I find this really interesting because so many times what we begin to think is that we live in different times in different ways. And the reality is, whether you're looking at the wickedness of the kings of, of Israel and, and, and Josiah who calls them back, where you, who, who those wicked kings who push away the word, where you look at people who, who call by superior knowledge, we have greater understanding of the word, we have understanding of these things, and they subject their truth into the scriptures and they call it knowledge. It's nothing new. We have it going on today, do we not? And Paul instructing Timothy, he tells them, hey, you guard this deposit that has been entrusted to you. And in the next chapter, over in, chapter, uh, Tim, in Timothy chapter 2, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, he tells Timothy that you're to teach these things to others, to other, the, of the others who are faithful, who will also teach them, that they would entrust those same truths onto the next generation. And we have the same mission today that we're to guard what has been entrusted to us. What has been entrusted to us? The gospel, the word of God has been entrusted to us and we're to guard that truth in our lives. There is nothing more valuable. There is nothing more priceless than the gospel. If we lose truth, we lose everything. And there is a battle for truth today. It isn't, it isn't just to be taken lightly. From generation to generation to generation, the word has been trusted to those who would carry it on and faithfully teach others. And we as a church cannot forget that. 
Throughout history, whether we begin with King Josiah or before him, others who, who held to the authenticity of the truth of God's word, even in the time of Christ, where, where we go throughout history and our church fathers, we can look at the Reformation, which was full of men and women giving their lives for Jesus Christ and the preservation and the declaration of the gospel. The gospel was so precious to them, they were willing They were willing to live the gospel to such a point that it cost them their lives to preserve the truth of it. They understood that if, if you lost truth, that if truth was watered down, then there would be no power in the truth of the gospel. And they stood on the truth of his word. And they were willing to die for that. The church had gone astray. The church had begun to lead them away from the truth of God's word. There were those who believed that, that the common person couldn't understand the scriptures, that they had to be taught to them. And even though they were taught to them, they weren't taught in truth. They were taught of things that they were needed to be for salvation, whether it was to buy or do indulgence or, or to do these things in order to attain somehow salvation. And as the gospel began to, became, began to be preached and the understanding of the gospel that they were saved by faith alone, not by works, that they were saved by grace, not by the accomplishments, that they were saved through Christ, not through a church, and that there wasn't someone representing them between God and, and themselves like, other than Jesus Christ. It began to create a fire within the, within the church. And then you had these men and these women awakened by the gospel and the truths of the gospel, saved by faith, by grace alone and Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. This was everything to them. As their hearts were moved and they believed the gospel, they were willing to give up everything, livelihoods, homes, fortunes, and even their own lives for the gospel. One of the things that we gained out of the Reformation, while the scriptures are still true, the way that they, they organized it was the five solas that we call. The word sola is a Latin word. It just simply means alone or on only. That's why, oh, before you go to that, go back to the sermon slide. I'm sorry, I didn't do that over there. I just change up every time. That's why we have the word alone up here. Because there's going to be five things we're going to look at in this series and we're going to talk about that are essential to our faith as in, the, in the gospel and as, our, as a church. And those five things are scripture alone, faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. This is the most important part of the entire gospel. Put those back up there for me. I'm sorry. I'm just throwing you guys way off. You're going to learn. You can't follow me like what I do the first hour, what I do. They're, they're not the same thing all the time. It's really hard on those guys in the back. You guys, if you know me, if you ever go to the first service and you come to the second service, sometimes you're going to go, Greg, did you just preach the same service? Well, sometimes, you know, just whatever, however God, I just kind of go with the flow, you know, sometimes. But when you look at those five things, right there is the essence of the gospel, you see, it's by the scriptures that we know, and we're going to see this in the text today. We're going to see that from the scriptures we know of the gospel. We know what salvation is. 
that we are saved from our sins, that we are saved from death and delivered from death, and that we're delivered from the judgment of God and the wrath of God. And we're able to avoid those kinds of judgments because of what Christ has done, the scriptures teaches. It's the scriptures alone. It's by faith alone. I don't do any, I don't care how many times you walk through a door. I don't care how much you put in a plate. I don't care what you accomplished in this world. I don't care how much you resources you've gathered. It's by faith alone because of the grace of God who has bestowed upon us his grace and his mercy towards us. How do I know these things? Because of the word and the authority of the scriptures. It's by Christ alone. It's not through the church I don't stand here today on any authority. There are many of you, many, 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 if not most of you, are a lot smarter than I am. More gifted, more talented, all of those things. I stand here not because of my giftedness or my talentedness or all of those things. I stand here alone on the truth of God's word. That's the only authority that has this morning. And every one of you can read it and study it as well. We need to be disciplined to understand the truth of God's word and how it applies. Why do we do these things? To the glory of God alone. I know in our self-indulgent culture, we make it all about me, don't we? I mean, God delivered us, God saved me, so I have this great life, no problems, everything goes the way it's supposed to go. When it doesn't, then God's messed up. He made a mistake, right? Because it's all about me. No, it's not, I'm sorry. It's about the glory of God. It's about him, what he did in expressing his mercy and his grace towards us. It's about Christ who, who dwelt among us and called us to himself, the God-man that we found in the midst of humanity, the, the Christ who took on the likeness of sinful flesh through his death, his burial, and resurrection and provided for us redemption, the gospel, through faith alone. And we know that through the scriptures. That's why this is so essential. You take any one of these away and you essentially water down the gospel. You have lost the integrity of the gospel. And the church will suffer greatly if it can even exist. And the purest form of the Reformation was the absolute explosion of the joy and the gladness because of the gospel that these men and women were guarding the deposit entrusted to them. And it led to joy because of the gospel, because of what it had brought in their lives. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 through 9, it says this, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, uh, do not now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible, filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. How is it? How is it that you can express a joy that is inexpressible? To be filled with the glory of the good news of salvation and experience the outcome of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. Because the gospel allows us to express joy because there is no greater message than knowing that you are saved from your sins. You are saved and delivered from death. It's the gospel by which you have life. These are the words of life. So it is important for us to understand the essentials of our faith and the message we have been entrusted with. This message that we have been handed down from generation to generation. That we stand and we guard it. And the first point 
of that that's up there. And that, in fact, those five things are going to be our outline over the next few weeks, except for next week, VBS Sunday. But the first point is scripture alone. Our highest and final authority is the scriptures. It's our final authority, dear people of God. Look, if you will, at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. In verse 16, it says, all scripture is breathed out by God. Now, stop for a second. Before we go much further, what does it say? All scripture, every scripture, all scripture is breathed out, breathed out by God. There isn't a place whereby we go look in the back for an appendix and go, oh, okay, this one is God and this one isn't. It's all scripture breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped in every good work. It's interesting, this word here is a compound word. It's the only time it's used in the New Testament. It's a compound of two words, one meaning God and the other meaning to breathe. So when you put them together, it literally means God breathe. It's a picture of it being breathed out. It's not that the scriptures were, were written by some men and God said, you know, I approve this. And he breathed approval into them. It's not a picture whereby as they were writing that God just kind of breathed on them and, and that made them the scriptures. The picture is literally God breathed out. Aaron uh, Lutzer, who, who said this, referring to these, this word, he says the Bible, metaphorically speaking, is the very breath of God. God didn't just approve the scriptures. God is the full source of all scripture. I've said it before and I'll remind you again, God wrote a book. He wrote a book. He made it known to us. So if God breathed out his word, then whatever God writes, God gets the final word. I'll let you chew on that one for a minute. If God says it, no one can say it better. There's no higher authority than God. If God breathed out a book, then that is, is the final word and no one can contradict it and no one can rise above it. We have to understand that as God's people who have been entrusted with his word. Scripture alone. You have this teaching of scripture alone. It is the foundation of what we hold to be true and authoritative for our lives. Here's the problem. In our Western culture, in our self-indulgent culture, we don't like being told anything. And the reality is we have to understand who God is and who we are. None of us are like him. And when he spoke, he spoke truth. God gave the scriptures to us to be a guide, to instruct, to correct, and train for righteousness that we might be equipped in every good work. The word of God is our highest and final authority for the Christian faith. And I know not everybody in this room necessarily embraces that. But it is a reality of a truth that we need to understand if we're gonna move forward. Because it is the truth of God's word that we stand on. I brought this this morning. Until this week, I hadn't opened this in probably 30 years. And what it is, is it's several writings that I did 
when I was a young man, just really getting excited about God and just starting to seek after God. Didn't really have any training, didn't really know a lot, but just really excited about him. I accepted Christ when I was 11 years old. Uh, I know that to be true. The years that followed between that time and the time that I was probably about, I don't know, sophomore going to junior year of high school. And I did some of the things that I ever, that were the worst things I could have ever done. It wasn't until then I began to realize I had to break away from friends in order to put the people around me that I might grow in Christ and seek after him and learn of his ways. So when I graduated from high school, I was kind of thinking that I wanted to, wanted to go into ministry. And so there was a local college. I grew up in project areas. I qualified for every program there was around at the time. And so I got scholarship at this local liberal arts school that had, happened to have this theology department. And in this theology department, I took this class called The Life of Christ. And I had to write a paper. And it was, uh, he said I didn't write enough, but I, for me, it was probably the largest paper I'd ever written to that time. And one of the things I had to deal with was the temptation of Christ. And as I began to address that and walk through it in the scriptures, I remember thinking about Jesus, you know, being transported in different places. And this is what I what I came to the conclusion or what I stated about that. I said the struggle was probably an inward one. It can hardly be supposed that Jesus was literally transported by the devil to a pinnacle of the temple, then to a high mountain, then presumably back again to the wilderness. Those are the words that I wrote. I keep this to remind me of how easy it is to subject our truth into God's word. You see, at the time, something I didn't realize was that the word of God is objective truth. What do I mean by that? That God's word stands on its own. Whether I agree with it or don't agree with it, whether the culture agrees with it or doesn't agree with it, whether the elders agree with it or don't agree with it, whether a culture, a world, uh, you name it, whether they agree with it or not, if it's objective truth, it stands on its own. And I did not understand that. So when I read that section in my mind, I could not fathom or understand the possibility of Jesus being transported from these different locations. There's no way possible in my mind to understand that. And, and, and so I assumed that it was just kind of an internal battle he was having rather than an actual encounter with our adversary, the devil. So I, so I remember writing that, and I had a, a, a professor that wasn't in this, um, I'm trying to think of a nice way of saying this, but nevertheless, he didn't have a real huge problem with it. He didn't sit me down and talk to me about it. But what did I do? I took what I didn't understand, I subjected it into the scriptures, and I made the scriptures to work according to my subjective truth, not understanding that the objective word of God could stand in and of itself alone. And we do this all the time in our culture right now. If we read something we don't understand, we make the assumption that the scriptures is wrong and we subject what we understand into the scripture and it becomes subjective truth. So therefore you have his interpretation, 
her interpretation. They're, and we're subjecting all of these things in the scriptures to the place that's what's going on as we're watering down the authenticity and the authority of the scriptures for our lives and for the church. And we can't do that. We were entrusted with the word of God to hold it and to hold it to its truth that the gospel would not lose its power in our culture because we're afraid of things like sin and death and judgment. The reality of what God has taught us in, in the word is truth and we need to adjust ourselves to the word, not the other way around. It is our authority as his people and as his church. And it's the final say. It's our battle that we're fighting. Just because I don't understand it doesn't mean it's not true. It simply means I need to study some more. I need to pray some more. Ask God to teach me more. That I might grow in knowledge and wisdom of the scriptures. Why is this so important? Because if that isn't true, I'm not going to be here. How do I know? How would I know that the gospel that God has taught, the proclamation of his death and burial and resurrection of his son, the, the forgiveness of sins, the restoration, the regeneration, to be born again, to be made alive in Christ. How do I know those things to be true if this isn't true? What would I stand on? My own subjective truth? I find it amazing, amazing how we impose our culture into the understanding of the scripture. And I always want to ask, which culture? Because a few years ago when I went to Tanzania, they had a totally different culture. So which one's right? Oh, we are because we're more educated. We're more knowledge. We've advanced more. We've, we've collected more. Didn't we just read that in 1 Timothy 6.20? Whereby some claiming knowledge but have veered from the truth. You see, dear people of God, we've got to back ourselves up and remind ourselves of the authenticity and the accuracy of the authority of Scripture, that what God says about what God says is right. So I want to, well, I've got a few minutes. I've got several verses I want us to look at. I want us to talk about the authority of Scripture on the authority of, what does God's word say about God's word? What does God's authority say about the authority of his word? I hope that you are pleasantly surprised and overjoyed as you hear these passages that you're going, Greg, Greg, stop, that's too much. I've got too much joy and excitement here. I'm afraid that happens. I find that most of the time, unfortunately, we get more excited over other things than the word of God. But listen to these words. In Psalm 19, verses 7 through 8. Now just hang loose because you're not going to be able to turn to all these passages uh, fast enough. Hopefully you can keep them up here on the screen. The law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. What can revive your soul? Anything like the word? Can TV revive your soul? Maybe more education? More knowledge? 
I don't think so. There's one book that can revive the soul whose precepts are able to make us wise, to make us right and rejoice in the heart to enlighten us. It's kind of like, like Peter when Jesus was saying, do you want to follow them too? The disciples were leaving. And Peter said, where should we go? Who else has the words of life? Where else do you find life? Where else do you find the words of truth? In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, right of verse right before our, our verse that we looked at in the first point. It says, how and how from childhood, Timothy, this is Paul writing to Timothy, how from childhood you have acquainted with the sacred writings. Now listen to this, what it says about the sacred writings, the word of God, which is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The word of God is able to make you wise unto salvation. Can your favorite TV show do that? I think not. Advancing in your workplace? I think not. Being really, really good and never doing anything wrong? I think not. Because in that is the pride of self. And it brings about humility is what the gospel does. A recognition that we surrender ourselves to God and the only message that we have that can tell people how to be delivered from sin and death. In Matthew chapter four, you know this, I've made reference in my paper. When Jesus was being tempted three times, three times he said, it is written, it is written. And the third time he says, it is written, be gone, Satan. And he affirms, even Christ himself, he affirms in his temptation that it's written gives him that authority. Yes, I know he was the son of God, but the authority of the word of God to resist our adversary. Not only that, but Jesus appeals to the word of God, to the scriptures that we've been entrusted with. He appeals to them because he knows them to be true. The things that you're tempting me with, Satan, are not true. How do I know? Because it is written he didn't, he didn't quote some mysterious book in a closet somewhere. He quoted this book. It is written. How can we do anything different? In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, I think this is one of the most significant charges in the whole entire New Testament. Paul is about to die, and he's charging Timothy with the ministry. And he says, I charge you. Now listen to this. I charge you, Timothy, he's talking to you. I charge you in the presence of God. Woo. And of, and of Christ Jesus. Now listen. Who is able to judge the living and the dead. Look, before God, before Christ, who is able to judge the living and dead, I'm charging you. And by his appearing and his kingdom. Oh, wait, he's coming again, Timothy. He's coming, and I'm charging you according to him because he's coming. What do you need to do more than anything else? What do you need to do? What does it say, dear people of God? Preach the word. Preach the word. Because no other message can give the words of life. No other message can take someone from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. No one can move them from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son other than the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the book of books. If you want to do anything, Timothy, your final authority is preach the word. 
You preach it. In season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, and compete, uh, complete repatience and teaching. Why? Because it changes lives. It's the final authority. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, Paul, uh, Peter writing to a, a, a people that had been dispersed abroad because of persecution, because of what they were facing. They had been dispersed. And he says, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, listen to this, imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. How did you come to faith? How did you hear? How will they not hear, right? We know that quote. How will they not hear unless one is sent, unless one's preached? Because it's the word of God through the living and abiding word of God. It is imperishable. You see, all of your accomplishments, your resources, your knowledge, all of those things are going to perish. But what doesn't perish is the abiding and living word of God. It is our final authority. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 21, 20 and 21, it says, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, I remember when I came to Christ, my parents were getting involved in a different, different doctrine. And I remember they were telling me about some prophecies and things that they were hearing. And I, and I went and got, got their Bible and I started writing it down in the back of their Bible. And they go, what are you doing? And I go, well, if this is true, then this has got to be the word of God. Oh, no, 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 that's not the word of God. I go, well, wait a second. Either it's of God and it's from him or it's not. You see, there is no prophecy of scripture that comes from someone's own interpretation. Why? For no prophecy, prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. People didn't sit down and make this up. It wasn't devised by the will of man like that literary prof I had right out of high school asked me, well, what do you, what's, what's a book you like reading a lot? And I said, the Bible, and they said, oh, yeah, that's one of the greatest literary uh, accomplishments of all time. And I was like, well, I don't think so. I think it's the word of God, right? Because men spoke as they were moved, carried by the Holy Spirit, and that's a whole other subject that we will have time for at another time. Isaiah 40, verse 8, I love this one. The grass withers, the flower fades but the word of our God will stand forever. So many have proclaimed over the history of humanity that the Bible will cease and consists, uh, cease to exist, but it continues on. Has there been a book more published? Because it's God's word. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 35, he said, scripture cannot be broken. It cannot. When God speaks it, it is truth. Whether you agree or not, it is truth. The grass withers, the flower flades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You know what, people? Let's just say that together. Isaiah 48, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Proverbs 30 verse 5 says, Every word of God 
proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Be careful how you handle God's word. Be careful. His word proves true. You start adding and subjecting your truth. That's why I keep this, just to remind me of how quick we can turn. If we do not guard our hearts and we do not guard that which has been entrusted to us, the word of God. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, am I wearing you out yet? Y'all excited? You ready to go running out in joy? It says this in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it as the word of, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Now, this is a really powerful verse to me because what this is saying is Paul is writing to these believers at Thessalonica. He is telling them that as he was teaching them, they didn't accept his teaching as the teaching of men, but what does he say? But for what it really is, the word of God. And so when people say things like this to me, like Paul didn't understand what he wrote. So we have to figure it out. Sorry, I was about to say something I probably shouldn't. (laughs) Dear people of God, somehow by the spirit of God indwelling him through the gospel that God had delivered Paul, the apostle Paul from his sins and death and made him alive in Christ as he spoke these things, as he taught these things, he somehow understood that this was the word of God. And he said to them, you did not accept these things. You did not accept them as men's teaching, but for what they really were, the word of God. Hebrews chapter four, verse 12, many of us know it. For the word of God is living and active. It's living and active because it's breathed out from God. It pierces the heart. It pierces the soul. That's why it says, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We don't approach God in our pride. For we are not greater than him. We need to understand that. We are servants. Recognizing him. You see, scripture alone is our highest and final authority. God's word will not be broken. It will not. Heaven and earth will pass away. Your houses, your accomplishments, your resources, they will crumble. They will fall to the side, but his word will stand forever and ever and ever because it's his word. And we as his people need to understand we have been entrusted. We've been entrusted with the word of God. And we need to stand in it. And just as much as King Josiah discovering the word of God and realizing how they had gone their own way, whereas Paul instructing Timothy how to handle and guard that which was entrusted to them, where we can look at church fathers where the Reformation and people since then who continue to stand on the truth of his word, we can be no different. 
Why is this so important? Because this is who we are. This is what NBC is going to be about, the Word of God. It has been, and it will continue to be. Our culture has changed. I started attending here in 98. So what is that, 25 some years? I don't even know. Anyway, the culture has changed since then. But the Word of God hasn't. The preaching is not going to change. It's still going to be about the Word of God. It is going to be about us seeking after God. Why do we use the term? We are a group of people learning to follow after Jesus. And it begins here. As we learn this word. As we humble ourselves. And we follow after him. Dear people of God. That's who we are. Scripture alone. Scripture alone. May it light a fire in you today. That you would thirst for it today more than you did yesterday that you would want to know the truth of it, that you would seek it, and you would grow in Christ. Let's pray. Father God, just uh, pray that your spirit would move among us. Father, that you would instruct us. Father, that we would approach you not with a halty spirit or a spirit of pride or a spirit of confidence, but that, Father, we would hear your spirit moving today And our hearts would be soft and our ears would be willing to hear what your spirit has to say to us today. Embrace, Father, those things that we would would embrace those things that are true in our lives. And that, Father, we would understand them. And, Lord, we may have walked into this room understanding scripture alone. But may we even leave today rejoicing in the truth of your word. May we be encouraged to stand firm. And not move to the left or the right. Just like King Josiah. He didn't go to the left. He didn't go to the right. He stayed true to your word. May it be said of us as well. In Jesus' name, amen.